Maybe you recall Jonathan Edwards. He lived 300 years ago. He was a colonial American pastor who was really responsible for starting the Great Awakening. When he was a very young man, he wrote down resolutions for his life in kind of a, a seventh or 18th century way that uh, seems a little convoluted to us today. But see if you can find the meaning in these. Uh, resolution number five was never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Number six, to live with all my might while I do live. Number 17, that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. My friend Scott Dixon gave me the same advice about 10 years ago in an easier way to understand. He said, think about the eulogy and then work backwards. And what would you like for us to say about you at the end of your life? Um, and what are you doing now to give us no choice except to say that, those things? But take a look at number 22. It's kind of a, it seems kind of strange, kind of self-centered for Jonathan Edwards. To endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I'm capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. So he says, I want to do everything I can to make myself as happy as I possibly can. Seems a little self-absorbed for Jonathan Edwards until you look for the three words that are the key in the other world, right? He's not talking about pursuing happiness here and now. He's talking about laying up treasure in heaven. In fact, as we think about the goals of our lives, there are, I, I see two possibilities. Is your goal to be happy, to make yourself happy, or is your goal to glorify God? And I confess for many years, I was much older than you three are when I, when I repented of this, but for many years I thought those were mutually exclusive goals. I can choose to be happy or I can choose to serve God. If I choose to serve God, he'll make me unhappy because he'll, he'll make me do something I don't want to do. Um, and, and that's a misapprehension of the character of God and also a misapprehension of what's really going to bring me joy. And so what I've learned, and this I learned the hard way, is that if you choose number one as your number one goal, to make yourself happy, you will fail at both goals. But if you choose number two as your number one goal, to glorify God, that there will be joy that comes out of that that you are unable to obtain for yourself going after your own, uh, your own pleasure. This is kind of a long quote, but uh, it takes more than one slide, but it's sort of the key, the key thesis of, of Piper's book. God created me and you to live with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion, namely a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. Enjoying and displaying are both crucial. If we try to display the excellence of God without joy in it, we will display a shell of hypocrisy and create scorn or legalism. But if we claim to enjoy his excellence and do not display it for others to see and admire, we deceive ourselves because the mark of God-enthralled joy is to overflow and expand by extending itself into the hearts of others. The wasted life is the life without a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples. He tells lots of war stories in here. And that's uh, one of the reasons I like it, and lots of Old Testament stories. We're going to do um, the book of Esther when we get to July, um, the month of July. And he tells a story in here about when she risks her life and says, if I perish, I perish. Another story he tells is about Joab. He's on a mountain or a hill. He's got one enemy facing him on this side, one enemy facing him on, on that side. There's no way out, it seems. And Joab's response to that are words to live by in a crisis situation or in times of peace. Here's what Joab said, 2 Samuel 10, 12, be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. It's kind of like his version of if I perish, I perish. You know, do what God's called you to do and let him sort it out. 
Remember this, we are exiles on earth, our citizenship is in heaven, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and all hardship is working for an eternal weight of glory. You've read the end of the book. You know the end of the story. Your team wins. Uh, you, your, your blessings are going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The temporary third quarter tragedies and sadnesses that we endure here and now just make the end of the story better. Just make us more Christ-like along the way. John Piper's prayer for you would be, I would echo that and make it my prayer for you. Oh, that young and old would turn off the television, take a long walk, and dream about feats of courage for a cause 10,000 times more important than American democracy, as precious as that is. If we would dream and if we would pray, would not God answer? Would he withhold from us a life of joyful love and mercy and sacrifice that magnifies God and makes people glad in God? And, of course, the answer is no. He will not withhold that from you. You, you might think that, that Piper is pushing you towards a, mission, uh, to, towards a life of Christian service or a life of, of service and ministry, but he's not. In fact, think how, how poorly our world would work if we were all ministers or if we were all missionaries. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that needs to get done that, that, uh, um, that involves what we would consider to be secular work. And the whole point of this is you don't have to. You know, for most of us, our call to honor God is going to come through some kind of vocation that's considered secular, not ministerial. And how are you going to honor God in that? Uh, Piper gives us a list of six things, and I'll quickly run through those. They're all like subchapters in the book. So if you're interested, in, uh, you can borrow this one from me and spend your uh, Barnes & Noble gift card on something else if, you, if you're interested in seeing it. Or any of you who'd like to, uh, you're welcome to borrow it. How do you go if I got at work? Through fellowship that you enjoy with him throughout the day by the joyful, God-exalting design of your creativity and industry. I've already seen that in some of you. When it confirms and enhances the portrait of Christ's glory that people hear in the spoken gospel. How else do you glorify God at work? By earning enough to keep from depending on others while focusing on the helpfulness of your work. By earning money with the desire to use your money to make others glad in God. And by treating the web of relationships it creates as a gift from God to be loved. That last one. That's a, that's a unique way of looking at your workplace. Uh, so many of us look at our workplace as a, a, a den of rivals to be uh, endured, right? Uh, and yet to see them as a gift from God to be loved and served, uh, uh, how, what a cool way to change your perspective. Okay, we're going to finish the service here as we always do. Um, I'm going um, to pray. Uh, we're going to have the worship team come up. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity to respond in any way. And I'd like for, for you three graduates who are here, if you would, please come up for prayer during the worship time. And anyone who would like to join in praying for them, just meet us over here. Um, I'll pray, and then we'll get started with that. Lord, I thank you for what you've taught us today. I thank you for these three that we're so proud of. Lord, I ask that you would help them to feel your loving approval today. Uh, well done. And, Lord, I ask that you'd also equip them and strengthen them for the next step in their journey. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for what you've taught us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.